Chapter twenty five of Naval Occasions by Bartimaeus. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty five Why the Gunner Went Ashore. The evening mail had come, and Selby sat alone in his cabin, mechanically reading and rereading a letter. Finally, he tore it up into very small pieces and held them clenched in his hand, staring very hard at nothing in particular. He was engaged to be married or to be more precise he had been engaged the letter that had come by the evening mail said that this was not so any longer the girl who wrote it was a very straightforward person who hated concealment of facts because they were unpleasant it had become necessary to tell selby that she couldn't love him any longer and faith she had told him further by her creed it was only right that she should tell him about someone else as well it was all very painful and the necessity for thus putting things to selby in their proper light had cost her sleepless nights red eyes and much expensive note-paper before the letter was finally posted but she did hope he would realize it was for the best and some day he would be so thankful it had all been a big mistake because she wasn't a bit what he thought and so forth a very distressing letter to have to write and from selby's point of view even more distressing to have to read few men enjoy being brought up against their limitations thus abruptly especially where women and love are concerned in selby's case was added the knowledge that another had been given what he couldn't hold he had made a woman love him but he couldn't make her go on loving him he was insufficient unto the day critics with less biased judgment might have taken a different point of view might have said she was a jilt or held she acted a little cruelly gone further even and opined he was well out of it but selby was one of those who walked the earth under a ban of idealism and had never been seriously in love before she was the queen who could do no wrong it was he who had been weighed and found wanting if only he had acted differently on such and such an occasion if in short instead of being himself he had been somebody quite different all along succeeding days and nights provided enough matches and sulphur of this sort to enable him to fashion a sufficiently effective purgatory in which his mind revolved round its hurt like a cockchafer on a pin when a man depends for the efficient performance of his duties upon getting his just amount of sleep selby was a watch-keeping lieutenant in a battleship of the line affairs of this sort are apt to end in disaster but his ship went into dockyard hands to refit and selby who was really a sensible enough sort of a fellow though an idealist realized that for his own welfare and that of the service it were better to forget and smile than remember and be sad accordingly he applied for and obtained a week's leave bought a map of the surrounding district packed a few necessaries into a light knapsack and set off to walk away his troubles for a day he followed the coast it was high summer along a path that skirted the cliffs the breeze blew softly off the level lapis lazuli of the channel seagulls wheeled overhead for company and following the curve of each ragged headland in succession the creamy edge of the breakers lured him on towards the west he walked thirty miles that day and slept dreamlessly in a fishing village hung about with nets and populated by philosophers with patched breeches 
he struck inland the second day to plunge into a confusion of lanes that led him blindfold for a while between ten-foot hedges these opened later into red combes steeped to their sunny depths with the scent of fern and may and all along the road bees held high carnival above the hedgerows then green tunnels of foliage murmurous with wood-pigeon dappled him at each step with alternate sunlight and shadow and passed him on to villages whose inns had cool flagged parlours and cider in blue and white mugs an ambient trout stream held him company most of the long afternoon with at times a kingfisher darting along its tortuous course like a streak from the rainbow that each tiny waterfall had caught and held he supped early in a farm kitchen off new-made pasties apple tart and yellow-crusted cream and walked on till the bats began wheeling overhead in the violet dusk his ship was sixty miles away when he crept into the shelter of a hayrick and laid his tired head on his knapsack the third day found him up on the ragged moors steering north the exercise and strong salt wind had driven the sad humours from him and the affairs of life were beginning to resume their right perspective so much so that when about noon a sore heel began abruptly to make itself felt in the irrational way sore heels have selby sat down and pulled out his map the day before yesterday he would have pushed on doggedly almost welcoming the counter-irritant of physical discomfort to-day however he accepted the inevitable and searched the map for some neighbouring village where he could rest a day or so until the chaffed foot was healed after a while he turned east and leaving the high moorland discerned the smoke of chimneys among some trees in the valley he descended a steep road that seemed to lead in the right direction and presently caught a glimpse of a square church tower among some elms later on the breeze bore the faint cawing of rooks up the hillside a stream divided the valley the few cottages clustered on the opposite side huddled close together as if reluctant to venture far beyond the shadow of the grey church the green of the hillside behind them was gashed in one place by an old quarry but the work had long been abandoned and nature had already begun to repair the red scar with impatient firs and winberry so much selby took in as he descended past the grey church and cawing rooks once at the bottom and across the quaint square-arched bridge he found there was a small inn amongst the huddled cottages where they would receive him for a night or two he lunched did what he could to the blistered heel with a darning-needle and worsted after the fashion of blistered sailormen and took a light siesta in the lavender-smelling bedroom under the roof until it was time for tea tea over he lit a pipe borrowed his host's little nine-foot trout rod that hung in the passage and limped down to the meadows skirting the stream beyond the village the light occupation gave him something to think about and held by the piece of running water he lingered by the stream all evening then something of his old sadness came back with the dimpsey light a gentle melancholy that only resembled sorrow as the mist resembles the rain he wanted his supper too and so walked slowly back to the village with the rod on his shoulder the innkeeper met him at the door well done sir well done you'm a fisherman for sure missus she fry em for dinner for ye now yeah tis nice little rod cut it myself little hickory rod tis where did ye have that half-pounder sir there's many a good fish to that little pool 
selby had finished supper and repaired to a bench outside in the gloaming with his pipe and a mug of beer the old stained chancel windows of the church beyond the river were lit up and choir practice appeared to be in progress the drone of the organ and voices uplifted in familiar harmonies drifted across to him out of the dusk the pool below the bridge still mirrored the last gleam of day in the sky a few old men were leaning over the low parapet smoking and down the street one or two villagers stood gossiping at their doorsteps a dog came out of the shadows and sniffed selby's hands then he flopped down in the warm dust and sighed to himself the strains of the organ on the other side of the valley swelled louder holy ghost the infinite comforter divine sang the unseen choir how warm and peaceful the evening was reflected selby puffing at his pipe one hand caressing the dog's ear extraordinarily peaceful in fact he wondered what sort of a man the vicar was in this tiny backwater of life and whether he found it dull while he wondered the vicar came down the road and stopped abreast of him good evening he said half hesitating and came nearer please don't get up i don't want to disturb you but i uh, they told me this afternoon that a stranger was staying here i thought i would make myself known to you i am the rector of this little parish he smiled and named himself selby responded to the introduction won't you sit down for a few minutes i was listening to your choir oh they are practising yes i have just come down from the church and he hesitated i hoped i should find you in to have the opportunity of making your acquaintance oh, it's most kind of you selby wondered if all parsons in this fair country were as attentive to the stranger within their gates most kind he repeated i i was on a walking tour and he indicated a slipper of his host that adorned his left foot one of my heels began to chaff only a blister you know but i thought i'd take things easy for a day or two oh quite so quite so an enforced rest is sometimes very pleasant i remember once my throat oh, however that was not what i came to see you about i believe mr selby er am i right in supposing that you are in the navy yes a note of chilliness had crept into selby's voice after all his clerical acquaintance was only an inquisitive old busybody agog to pry into other people's affairs yes he repeated i'm a lieutenant and he named his ship the rector made a little deprecatory gesture please don't think i am trying to acquire the materials for gossip and i am not asking out of inquisitiveness the good people here told me this afternoon this is an out-of-the-way place and strangers distinguished ones if i may say so he made a little inclination of the head do not come here very frequently they mentioned it to me as i was passing on my way to hold a confirmation class selby hastened to put him at his ease after all why shouldn't he ask and then he remembered offering the innkeeper a fill of hard navy plug tobacco he carried a bit in his knapsack with a view to just such small courtesies that's the stuff sir the man had said loading his pipe we wondered me and the missus was you a navy gentleman but while his mind busied itself over these recollections his companion was talking on in his gentle way he was not a very old man but the doctor tells me he has lived a life of many hardships and not i fear always a temperate one however never a sinner never a saint 
and now he is fast to use one of his own seafaring expressions slipping his cable he retired from the navy as a gunner i think that would be a warrant officer's rank would it not selby nodded yes has he been retired long this person you speak of yes he retired a good many years ago and has a small pension quite sufficient for his needs he settled here because he liked the quiet the speaker made a little gesture embracing the hollow in the hills sombre now in the gathering darkness he lives a very lonely life in a cottage some little distance along the road an eccentric old man with curious ideas of beautifying a home however i am digressing as far as i know he has no relatives alive and no friends ever visit him he has been bedridden for some time and the wife of one of my parishioners a most kindly woman looks in several times a day and sees he has all he wants now i come to the part of my story that affects you lately in fact since he took to his bed and the doctor was compelled to warn him of his approaching end he has been very anxious to meet some one in the navy he so often begs me if i hear of any one connected with the service being in the vicinity to bring him to the cottage and this afternoon hearing quite by accident that a naval officer was in our midst again the rector made his courteous little inclination of the head it seemed an opportunity of gratifying the old fellow's wish if you could spare a few moments some time to-morrow well, i should be only too glad to be of any service said selby perhaps you would call for me some time to-morrow morning and we could go round together the rector rose you are most kind i was sure when i saw you i knew i should not appeal in vain he extended his hand and now i will say good-night forgive me for taking up so much of your time with an old man's concerns one can do so little in this life to bring happiness to others that when the opportunity arises oh yes rather said selby a little awkwardly and shook hands conscious of more than a slight compunction for his hastiness in judgment of this mild divine good-night sir and stood looking after him till he disappeared along the road into the luminous summer night selby had finished breakfast and was leaning over the pigsty wall watching his host ministering to the fat sow and her squealing litter when his acquaintance of the previous night appeared seen in the broad daylight he was an elderly man short and spare with placid blue eyes and a singularly winning smile a bachelor so the innkeeper had instructed selby a man of learning and of no small wealth who moreover dressed and threw as pretty a fly as any in the county he saluted selby with a little gesture of his ash-plant inquired after the blistered heel and then after an ailing member of the fat sow's litter and now if you are ready and still of the same mind shall we be strolling along he inquired selby fetched his stick and together they set out along a road made aromatic in the morning sunlight by the scents of dust and flowering hedgerow half a mile beyond the village the rector stopped before a gateway a dog-cart and cob stood at the roadside and a small boy in charge touched his cap the doctor is here i see said the clergyman and opened the gate in the hedge selby caught a glimpse of a flagged path leading through an orchard to a whitewashed cottage but his attention from the outset had been arrested by a most extraordinary assortment of crockery 
glass and earthenware vases busts statuettes and odds and ends of ironwork that occupied every available inch of space round the gateway bordering the path and were even cemented on to the front of the house itself above the gateway a defaced lion faced an equally mutilated unicorn across the royal arms of england arranged beneath cemented into the pillars of the arch were busts of napoleon irving stanley and george washington an earthenware jar bearing the inscription hot pot a little group representing leda and the swan in white marble and a grinning soapstone joss such as is sold to tourists and sailors at ports on the china coast interspersed with these were cups without handles segments of soup plates china dolls heads lead soldiers and a miscellaneous collection of teapot spouts all firmly plastered into the ironwork of the pillars on each side of the path banked up to a height of about three feet was a further indescribable conglomeration of bric-a-brac cemented together into a sort of hedge the general effect was as if the knockabout comedians of a music-hall stage who break plates and domestic crockery out of sheer joy of living had combined with demented graveyard masons bulls and china shops and all the craftsmen of murano to produce a nightmare a light summer breeze strayed down the valley and scores of slips of coloured glass hanging in groups from the apple trees responded with a musical tinkling the sound brought recollections of a japanese temple garden and selby paused to look about him what an extraordinary place the vicar leading the way up the tiled walk seemed suddenly to become aware of the strangeness of their surroundings long familiarity with the house had perhaps robbed the fantastic decorations of their incongruity he stopped and smiled oh, to be sure yes uh, i had forgotten to a stranger all this must seem very peculiar i think i hinted that the old man had very curious ideas of beautifying the home this was about his only hobby and yet oddly enough he rarely spoke of it to me at that moment the cottage door opened and a tall florid man came out the vicar turned ah dr williams that was his trap at the gate let me introduce you the introduction accomplished he inquired after the patient the medical man shook his head won't last much longer i'm afraid a day or so at the most no organic disease you know but just he made a little gesture like a clock that's run down not an old man either as men go but these navy men age so quickly well i must get along i shall look in again this evening but there is nothing one can do really he's quite comfortable good morning and the doctor passed down the path to his trap the vicar opened the cottage door and stood aside to allow selby to enter the room was partly a kitchen partly a bedroom occupying the bed with a patchwork quilt drawn up under his chin was a shrunken little old man with a square beard nearly white and projecting craggy eyebrows he turned his head to the door as they entered in spite of the commanding brows they were dull tired old eyes without interest or hope or curiosity in them i brought you a visitor mr tylake said the vicar someone you'll be glad to see an officer of the navy the old man considered selby with the same vacant passionless gaze have you ever ate navy beef he asked abruptly it was a thin colourless voice almost the falsetto of the very old 
selby smiled oh yes sometimes navy beef that's what brought me here and the rheumatics i'm dying he made the statement with the simple pride of one who has at last achieved a modest distinction the vicar asked a few questions touching the old man's comfort and opened the little oriel window to admit the morning air lieutenant selby was most interested in your unique collection of curios outside mr tylake perhaps you would like to tell him something about them he looked at his watch addressing selby i have a meeting i'm afraid i don't know if you'd care to stay a few minutes longer and chat certainly said selby and drew a chair near the bed if mr tylake doesn't mind i'd like to stay a little while he sat down and the vicar took his departure closing the door behind him in a corner by the dresser a tall grandfather clock ticked out the deliberate seconds a blue bottle sailed in through the open window and skirmished round the low ceiling the old man lay staring at his hands as they lay on the patchwork quilt twisted nubbly hands they were with something pathetic about their toil-worn helplessness every now and again the wind brought into the little room the tinkle of the glass ornaments pendant in the apple trees outside the faint sound seemed to rouse the occupant of the bed i've been a mort of religions he said in a low voice as if speaking to himself heaps of em and some said one thing and some said the other his old blank eyes followed the gyrations of the fly upon the ceiling and i dunno buddhism and mamazettes salvation armies and bush baptists and some says one thing and some says the other i dunno he shook his head wearily but many's the pot of galvanized paint i used up outside there and gold leaf in the dog watches o saturdays this then was the explanation of the fantastic decorations outside altars to the unknown god the old man turned his head towards his visitor but don't you tell the parson he wouldn't hold with it i tell you because you're in the navy and perhaps you'd understand i was in the navy mr tylake's my name thirty year a gunner and navy beef for a while the old man rambled on seemingly unconscious of his visitor's presence of ships long passed through the breakers yards of forgotten commissions all up and down the world of beef and rheumatism and buddha while selby sat listening half moved by pity half amused at himself for staying on about noon a woman came in and fed the old man with a spoon out of a cup selby rose to go i'll come again he said touching the passive hands covered with faint blue tattooing i'll come and see you again this evening the old man roused himself from his reveries come again he repeated that's right come again soon when she's gone she and her fussin about and for the first time an expression came into his eyes as he watched the woman with the cup an expression of malevolence i don't hold with women fussin round and i've got something to tell you something pressin you must come soon i'm slippin my cable naval beef and the rheumatics and it's to your advantage the shadows of the alders by the river were lengthening when selby again walked up the bricked path leading to the cottage the old man was still lying in contemplation of his hands the grandfather clock had stopped and there was a great stillness in the little room his gaze was so vacant and the silence remained unbroken so long that selby doubted if the old man recognized him i've come back you see i've come to see you again still the figure in the bed said nothing staring dully at his visitor 
"'I've come to see you again,' Selby repeated. "'It's to your advantage,' said the old man. His voice was weaker, and it was evident that he was, as he said, slipping his cable fast. "'Give me that there ditty-box,' continued the thin, toneless voice. Selby looked round the room and espied in a corner of the chest of drawers the scrubbed wooden ditty-box in which sailors keep their more intimate and personal possessions. He fetched it and placed it on the patchwork quilt. The old man fumbled ineffectually with the lid. "'Tip him out,' he said at length, and Selby inverted the box to allow a heap of papers and odds and ends to slide on to the old man's hands. It was a pathetic collection, the flotsam and jetsam of a sailor's life, faded photographs, certificates from captains scarcely memories with the present generation, a frayed parchment, letters tied up with an old knife-lanyard, a lock of hair from which the curl had not quite departed, ghost of a day when perhaps the old man did hold with women. At length he found what he wanted, a soiled sheet of paper that had been folded and refolded many times here he said and extended it to selby it was a printed form discoloured with age printed in old-fashioned type and appeared to relate to details of prison routine and the number of prisoners victualled selby turned it over on the back drawn in ink that was now faded and rusty was a clumsy arrow showing the point of the compass beneath that a number of oblong figures arranged haphazard and enclosed by a line one of the figures was marked with a cross that's a cemetery said the old man cemetery at a place called port de Reine. he lay silent for a while as if trying to arrange his scattered ideas presently the weak voice started again there's a prison in trinidad and my father was a warder there long time ago time the old calypso was out on the station he talked slowly with long pauses they was sent to catch a murderer who was hiding among the islands a half-breed pirate he must have been murderer and i don't know what not they caught him and they brought him to trinidad where my father was warder in the prison when i was little the old man broke off into disconnected rambling whispers and the shadows began gathering in the corners of the room a thrush in the orchard outside sang a few long sweet notes of its angelus and was silent selby waited with his chin resting on his hand the old man suddenly turned his head she ain't comin she and her fussin i've got something important no no said selby soothingly there's no one here but me and you wanted to tell me about your father warder in a prison at trinidad said the old man my father was and a kind-hearted man there was a prisoner there a pirate a murderer he was what the calypso caught and father was kind to him before he was hanged i can't say what he did but being kind-hearted naturally it might have been anything not taken into account of him being a pirate and murderer jewels he had and rings and such things hidden away somewhere and before he was hanged he told my father where they was buried cause father was kind to him before he was hanged port de rhine cemetery in the grave that's marked on that chart he's buried the whole lot seventy thousand pounds he said there was a long silence father caught the prison fever and died just afterwards my mother she gave me the paper joined the navy and i never went to des rhine but the once 
then i went to the wrong cemetery to dig ship was under sailing orders i hadn't time afterwards i heard there were two cemeteries priest at martinique told me i was never there but the once seventy thousand pounds and me slipping the cable selby sat by the bed in the darkening room holding the soiled sheet of paper in his hand piecing together bit by bit the fragments of this remarkable narrative until he had a fairly connected story in his head summed up it appeared to amount to this a pirate or murderer had been captured by a man-of-war taken to trinidad prison to be tried and there sentenced to death time the old calypso was out on the station that would be in the forties or thereabouts the old man's father had been a warder in trinidad prison at the time and had performed some service or kindness to the prisoner in exchange for which the condemned felon had given him a clue to the whereabouts of his plunder it was apparently buried in a grave at port de rhine cemetery but the warder had died before he could verify this valuable piece of information his son the ex-gunner had actually been to a cemetery at port de rhine but had gone to the wrong one and did not find out his mistake till after the ship had sailed the plunder was valued at seventy thousand pounds selby turned the paper over and folded it up what do you wish me to do with this mr tylake have you any relations or next of kin it seems to me the old man shook his head faintly i've got no relatives alive nor friends they're all dead and i'm dying that's for you that there bit of paper keep it it's to your advantage some day maybe you'll go to port de rhine and it's the old cemetery furthest from the sea i went to the wrong one time i was there but said selby half amused half incredulous i-i'm a total stranger to you if this was a true you keep it said the old man his voice was very spent and scarcely raised above a whisper i meant it for the first navy man that came along you came and you were kind to me it's yours and to your advantage there was silence again in the little room and selby sat on in the dusk wondering how much of the story was true or whether it was all the hallucination of a failing mind but the old man had given him the paper and he would keep it as a memento and the fact of its being a prison form seemed to bear out some of the details anyhow the story was very interesting he rose and lit the lamp the old man had slipped off into an easy doze with his pathetic collection of treasures still lying in a heap on the quilt selby replaced them in the ditty box and put the box back where he had found it the piece of paper that had been a prison form he put in his pocket-book as he was leaving the woman who had been there earlier in the day made her appearance selby wished her good evening told her the old man was dozing and passed down the path i'll come again to-morrow he added at the gate but that night the old man died and the next morning having ascertained from the vicar that there was nothing he could do to help selby shouldered his knapsack and struck out once more along the road that led up on to the moor two it was tea-time and the mess had gathered round the wardroom table a signalman came down from the upper deck and pinned a signal on the baize-covered notice-board hello someone said signal from the flagship what's the news the assistant paymaster who was sitting with his back to the notice-board relinquished the jam-pot and tilting up his chair scrutinized the paper over his shoulder 
flag general let fires die out usual leave may be granted to officers the major of marines who had finished his tea rose from the table and tucked the novel he had been reading under his arm thanks very much he said now we're all happy he stared out through the rain-smeared scuttle at an angry grey sea and lowering sky i can see a faint blur on the horizon would that be the delectable beach we're invited to repair to that's it said the first lieutenant stirring the leaves in his teapot with a spoon he had just spent three-quarters of an hour on the forecastle mooring ship in a cold driving rain it's not more than three miles away and it's only blowing about half a gale there's a cutter to go ashore in time some of you young bloods was climbing into your civvy suits footnote lower deck ease equals civilian End note. so much for the joys of a big fleet in the north sea i'd like to bring some of these fellows who are always writing to the papers about it for a little yachting trip grumbled the fleet surgeon who had just returned from two successively placid commissions in the west indies never anchor in sight of land always blowing always raining never get ashore and when you do you wish you were on board again it's the limit well thank heaven for a fire and an armchair anyway said the paymaster and drifted towards the smoking-room filling his pipe as he went who'll make a four at bridge asked the major come on number one and so the mess dispersed some to armchairs round the fire others to the bridge-table others again to write letters in their cabins about half an hour before dinner as was his wont the captain came down from his cabin and joined the group round the smoking-room fire the occupants of the armchairs made room and smiled greetings hello said the captain none of you ashore thought you all came into the navy to see life the commander laughed we're beginning to forget there is such a thing as the beach the captain lit a cigarette not a bad principle either saves your plain clothes from wearing out he settled down in an armchair somebody had vacated like an old gunner of a small ship i was in once in the west indies he only went ashore three times during the commission once at trinidad and once at bermuda and each time when he returned he had to be hoisted on board in a bowline there was a general laugh what about the third time sir asked the engineer commander third time ah that was rather mysterious we never discovered why he did go ashore that day i don't know now the mess scented a yarn thrice blessed was their captain in that he could tell a yarn we were cruising round that fringe of islands part of the windward group showing the flag and the skipper decided to look in at a place called um i can't remember what it's called port de something oh port de rain that's it what did you say selby uh, nothing sir go on the last place ever made this port de Rhine, and it's not finished yet just a mountain and the remains of an old french settlement well we anchored off this godforsaken hole and as soon as the skipper had had a look at it he decided to up killick and out of it as far as i can remember he had to go and lunch with the consul but he was to come off in a couple of hours time so we banked fires and off went the captain in the galley no sooner had he gone than the gunner this funny old boy i've been telling you about came to my cabin i was by way of being first lieutenant of that ship we'd no commander and asked for leave to go ashore i was rather startled couldn't imagine what on earth he wanted to do i told him we were under sailing orders and only staying a couple of hours and that it was an awful hole had he any friends staying there i asked him 
no he said he had no friends there but he particularly wanted to land there for an hour or so on urgent private affairs as he called it well he seemed in rather a stew about something so i gave him leave and lowered a boat off he went in his old bowler hat he always went ashore in a bowler hat and a blue suit armed with something wrapped up in paper this turned out afterwards to be a sort of pick or jemmy he had got the blacksmith to make for him a couple of days before that must have been when he heard the ship was going to port the rhine it was the only clue we ever had two hours later at the expiration of his leave he returned looking very dusty and dejected and reported himself i chaffed him a bit about going ashore but nothing could i get out of him and he never volunteered an explanation to any one as far as i know a lieutenant who had finished playing bridge and had joined the group of listeners round the fire leaned forward suddenly do you remember his name sir no said the captain can't say i do never can remember names not a mr tylake by any chance sir the captain threw away the end of his cigarette and turned toward the speaker good lord yes that was it tylake but look here selby the lieutenant rose and walked towards the door if you'll wait a second sir i'll show you why he went ashore he left the mess and returned with a soiled sheet of paper in his hand it was creased by much folding and discoloured with age the captain turned it over and examined it but this doesn't explain much does it and how do you come to know old tylake all this happened twelve fifteen nearly twenty years ago and he was pensioned soon after and anyhow what's this got to do with it that selby turned the paper over that's the cemetery at port der Rhein, sir and then he told them of a walking tour in the west country omitting the reason for it and other superfluous details some two years before and of the old man who had since solved it is to be hoped to his satisfaction his religious perplexities the assistant paymaster removed his glasses and blinked excitedly as was his habit when much moved but why couldn't he find it when he went ashore and why didn't because he went to the wrong cemetery there were two do you see and he dug up the wrong one and didn't find out there was another one till after they'd sailed he never went there again no said the captain that's right we didn't the first lieutenant laughed but just imagine him in that climate tearing off the tombstones in his bowler hat and serge suit with one eye on his watch all the time and only finding coffins and then hearing when it was too late that he'd backed the wrong horse added the major of marines but began the a p again how much did you say seventy thousand pounds my aunt selby have you been there yet selby smiled and shook his head i oh no i've been channel groping ever since in fact i'd forgotten all about it until the captain mentioned port that he was a very old man and his wits were failing the engineer commander examined the plan but there may be something in the yarn selby it seems almost worth while a treasure hunt broke in the a p let's all put in for a couple of months half pay and go out there hire a schooner like they do in books schooner ejaculated the major i can see myself setting sail for the antilles in a schooner Ugh! it makes me feel queer to think of it you'd look fine in a red smuggler's cap and thigh boots major said the first lieutenant that's what treasure hunters always wear 
with a black patch over one eye and the skull and crossbones embroidered on your brisket supplemented an imaginative watchkeeper yo ho and a bottle of rum can't you see yourself major only you ought to have a wooden leg has anybody in the mess ever been there inquired the commander why the p m o s just come home from the west indies where is he at that moment the fleet surgeon entered to be assailed by a volley of questions p m o you're just the man where's port de rhine we're all going treasure hunting in a schooner with the major with the jolly roger at the fore p m o have you ever been to port de rhine how many cemeteries are there there what's the law about digging up graves in the west indies and treasure trove the fleet surgeon looked a little bewildered what are you talking about port de rhine yes i've been there i don't know about the cemeteries but i've got some photographs of the place if you're all so anxious to see it they're in my cabin he left the mess and the storm of conjecture and speculation broke out afresh i shall chuck the service and buy a farm said the first lieutenant with my share Shh! don't make such a row one of the servants will hear and we don't want it to get all over the ship these things are much better kept quiet if there's anything in it the fewer the a p s voice rose above the turmoil and i shall buy a cycle car and a split cane steel-centred grease lod and go to switzerland next winter i the fleet surgeon reappeared with a bulky album under his arm he laid it on the card-table and turned the pages now um there's port de rhine what's left of it after the earthquake earthquake the mess gathered round and leaned breathlessly over the table yes two years ago they had that awful earthquake and the mountain shifted almost bodily there's a million tons of rock on top of well you can see they scanned the scene of desolation in silence it swallowed the whole town said some one in awestruck tones the magnitude of a calamity had somehow never come home to them before quite so forcibly yes replied the fleet surgeon calmly town such as it was and church and cemeteries mountain toppled down on top of em there was a long tense silence but began the a p still clinging to his dreams of a split kangreels rod with a steel centre dry up snapped the first lieutenant irritably oh death where is thy sting murmured the major of marines seventy thousand pounds buried under a mountain the captain rang the bell and ordered a sherry and bitters well he said thank heaven i know at last why the gunner went ashore end of chapter twenty five end of naval occasions and some traits of the sailor man by bartimaeus